Would you please turn with me to your study outline? Uh, and as you're turning, let me welcome the hundreds of you that join us online every uh, Sunday. So glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word, as well as our friends at First Baptist Church of Arco, Idaho, and also First Baptist Church of Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study. Over six weeks, we're going to talk about six different ways that the local church can change your life. Last Sunday, we started this I Love My Church series, talking about the church provides a context for lifelong friendships. And today we're going to talk about the church instills purpose in us. Now we, we believe in this one here so much we named our church after it. And out of the thousands of reasons for following Jesus, I want you to know this is one of my favorites. Uh, my dad used to love to make homemade ice cream with a hand-cranked ice cream maker. Any of you remember any of those? Okay, we got a few. And uh, when I was in high school, we had our whole, my whole track team over to our house for a barbecue and for homemade ice cream, uh, hand-cranked. And so there's this line of guys on the track team uh, taking turns cranking the ice cream maker. And one guy saw the line, got into it, and he gets it's his turn to crank, and he just cranks for about 10 minutes and, and then he turns to my dad and says, what are we doing this for anyway? Had no clue. He just saw a line, saw other people cranking, got into it, cranked himself. He was probably a shot putter or, or a discus thrower. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Please don't beat me up uh, at my car after it's over in the parking lot. Uh, but, but they just got in the line. And boy, that to me is a perfect picture of so many people in life. We just see everybody in a line. And they're all cranking it. So we take our turn to crank it. And we never really stop to ask, what's the reason for what we're doing? What purpose is this? Now, you all know that I'm a purposeaholic. And I believe because you're here and connected with this church and here on a Sunday, gorgeous Sunday morning, that you're a purposeaholic as well. I don't feel motivated to do anything unless there's a reason behind it. Uh, my wife, Kimberly, will tell you, I don't watch preseason NFL football games. You know why? Because they don't count. I don't watch any game <laughs> unless it counts, whether it be baseball or hockey or basketball. I only watch games if, if they count. And, and the same thing is true in life as well. The greatest thing that Jesus gives you and gives me is a reason for being here. And you all know, you've heard me say this a hundred times, Best thing about Jesus is we deny what we're taught in culture, society, and the world, that we are not just random cells experiencing random chance. That's what we're taught. We're just a random group of cells experiencing random chance. But when you become a follower of Jesus, your life has purpose. It has significance. It has meaning. It has adventure. You know where you fit into God's master plan. Boy, I just want to tell you junior hires and high schoolers here on the front Man, we're glad you're here. And I just want to tell you, don't buy into the lie that you're just a random group of cells just kind of, you know, reacting to chance and to uh, exposure to the things you go through. No, no, no. You're, when you follow Jesus, you, you are one in, a, in billions. There's only one like you ever made. When God made you, he broke the mold. There's nobody like you in the history of the universe. And you're the only one that can fill God's place for you in human history. Uh, you are one of a kind. Uh, you have a line in God's play, and you're the only one that can give that line. Uh, every act you say, every act you do, every word you say, um, every day for you is game day. Uh, today, the Los Angeles Rams are back home again in the Coliseum. 
And I tell you, there are no, uh, you know, there, there are no pre, there, there's only 16 game days for an NFL player. I mean, they spend their whole life and they probably play for four or five years on average and they have 16 game days. So what's that? About 80, 70 or 80 game days in the life of an NFL player. And I just want you to know that every day is game day for, for you. Uh, there's a line in God's play that only you can speak. There's a part in God's orchestra that only you can play. There's a role on God's team, and only you can do that. If you don't do it, nobody else is going to get it done. You matter. Everything you do matters. There is no preseason. Every day is game day. You know what I was going to do as I was starting to work on this message is I was going to say, well, maybe before you're born, you know, and you're in your mother's womb, that's your preseason. And I thought, no, that's not true either. Because the Bible says that the moment you were conceived, even when you were in your mother's womb, God ordained every day of your life from that day forward, even before you were born. Every day is game day. I'm telling you, when you get out of bed in the morning, you should have a little tunnel that goes out the front door in your house. And you should run through there. And, and you should slap hands on all your family. And you should have a little motivational saying over the, the wall there. And you go up and you kiss it and you touch it. And you run out. Because when you're a follower of Jesus... Every act of love you do, everything you say, every word of encouragement you give, every word of kindness, every time you serve God, every time you give to proclaim the name of Jesus or to help people in need, everything counts. Your life now has meaning. And that is one of my favorite reasons for following Jesus. There's a thousand of them, but that's one of my my favorites. Here's the typical American dream. You get into a nice school so you can get a nice job, so you can get a nice house, so you can raise nice kids who will do well enough in school and have enough extracurricular activities so they can get into a nice school, get a nice job, so they can get a nice house, and raise nice grandchildren who will plan a nice funeral for you. That's the American dream. And Jesus steps into that and says, you know what, that's, big, that's not big enough for your life. He stepped into the Galilean dream, sees some fishermen fixing their nets, washing their nets, and that was the Galilean dream, you know, get enough to eat every day. That was basically the dream of a person in Galilee at the time of Jesus. Fish, eat, go to sleep, get back up, do it all over again. And Jesus stepped into that, interrupted that Galilean dream. And he finds these men cleaning their fishing nets and says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You follow me. And there's nothing wrong with fishing. And there's nothing wrong with all those things I happen But he says, you were made for more than that. I have a higher purpose for you. And I want to just make it very clear. There's nothing wrong with all those things I listed. Nothing wrong. It's just that they make a lousy ultimate purpose in your life. You were made for more than that. My kids and grandkids are now scattered all across the nation and even around the world. Uh, Four of them, even as I'm speaking here, are flying out of LAX to Peru to, to live in Peru now. And you know, when my kids call me up and say, uh, Dad, got a promotion at work. I'm like, great, that's great. Hey, Dad, got a raise. That's, that's, that's awesome. That, that, that's great. I mean, I want them to have more money so they'll put me in a nicer nursing home someday. You know, I, I, money's good, money's good. Except for my daughter, Abigail. She's a fiscal hawk on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. She says, Dad, I'm going to put you in the cheapest place I can find. But, but I at least want, think the other kids may overrule them if they've got some resources. You know, one of them will call me up. Hey, Dad, bought a house. That's great. That's great. Okay. But when they tell me, Dad, 
we found a local church that we love. That's when Kimberly and I rejoice. You know why we're so happy with that? Because that church, it's in the local church that they'll figure out the higher purpose for which they were made. They'll realize they were made for bigger things. And I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, some gigantic world stage here. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking the little things. You go to school tomorrow and you just encourage a friend who's down. I'm talking about you share Jesus. You invite a friend to youth group and Pastor Adrian or Pastor Eric shares Jesus with them and they commit their lives to Jesus and they go to heaven for eternity. I'm talking about that kind of stuff. When you get to heaven, you're gonna realize it was way bigger than playing in the Coliseum on opening day for the Los Angeles Rams being home. Now, two most important questions you'll ever face in your life are these. First of all, what will you do with Christ? That's the most important question anybody will ever ask. And I'm telling you, if you haven't, not sure if you've answered that question or not, if you look right in front of you in the book rack there, you'll see a thing that says resources. And on it, it says how to become a follower of Jesus. And if you've never made that decision, right there, it'll tell you how to answer that question. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? And look, I want to encourage you to do something. I want you to steal this, okay? Or, or as I realized I was making problems for people, let's steal a third each, a third of you steal it, okay? And we'll steal it gradually so the custodians can fill them back in again, and then they can re-steal them again. You know why I want you to steal this? Is I want you to keep this in your Bible, or you keep this with you, so that if you're sharing with a friend someday, and you're like, oh my goodness, I think this person may want to follow Jesus, but I'm not sure how to go about it. You whip this out, and you just read through this little diagram and pray through that prayer with them. And I want you to keep this as a resource in order uh, uh, to do that. So you clean us out, and we'll keep refilling them every week. Custodian's going to keep refilling those things in, okay, so that you can keep taking them, and you can either use it for yourself or you can use it in order uh, to share with a friend. So the first question is, what will you do with Christ? And the second question is this, what does God want from my life? Once you've decided, like those that were just baptized, to follow Jesus, once you make that decision, what does God want uh, from my life? Now, the word purpose is one of the most used words, uh, repeated words in all the Bible. In the old-fashioned King James Version, the older translation, it's used 62 times. In the New International Version, which is the version of the Bible, the translation I tend to use here on Sunday mornings, it's mentioned 58 times. In the New American Standard Bible, it's mentioned 80 times. Now, the only place where you're going to find out how to figure out your purpose for which you're here is in a local church. And here's the great part. You won't just be taught about it or encouraged in small groups to do it and to figure it out or taught about it here or, or encouraged to read your Bible to figure it out you'll see examples of it to follow as well. Now, this is a name that many of you that are younger won't, won't know from our church, but some that are older here will remember this. Every Monday through Friday, when I'm taking my kids to school, on Town Avenue, I pass by the Pomona Cemetery. And almost every day I pass by that cemetery, I think of two people, Keith and Mary Corstens. Now, I want to just tell you a little bit of the history of our church, of, of Keith and Mary Corstens. He was a pastor here for over 40 years, maybe close to half a century here at our church, but that's not the reason he's my hero, even though, I mean, there are people here. He, God may have used him to save your marriage. Uh, he was the marriage ministry before we had a marriage ministry. He, he was pastoral care. He was the whole shebang. We probably have 10 programs now to fill what Keith Corstens used to do by himself. But here's the reason he's my hero and that I think about him every time I go by the graveyard. Because his wife, Mary, was one of the last cases of polio in Los Angeles County. 
she got one of the last cases before the Salk vaccine basically eliminated polio in L.A. County. She was one of the last ones that caught it. So she was on a wheelchair like the last 40 years of her life and of their life together as husband and wife. And he took care of her every day. And he wrote this book called Not a Sometimes Love. If anybody's an example of that. And every, almost every Sunday morning when I came in to preach for the early service, I'd walk from my office through that door and there would be Keith getting Mary out of their van into her wheelchair. And he was faithful to her and committed to her through good times and through bad. And every time I pass that graveyard, I say, there's a man who lived his life with purpose and on purpose. And I met him in the local church. I met him in our church as an example to me of what it means to live a, a life of purpose. Let me give you another one that's, uh, that's not in heaven, but is living right now. And that's my friend John Jackson, president of William Jessup University up in um, Sacramento. And I met him here uh, at our church. And, and John's going to be at the 1111 service because his uh, son is transferring to Azusa Pacific. And so all you APU people, where do Christian college presidents send their children? They send them to APU. So there you go. That's what I'm talking about. So at any rate, he's going to be at the 1111 service. But he's my hero. You know, you've maybe heard of this bill, uh, Assembly Bill 1166. And um, it is a bill that will basically, 1266, excuse me, Assembly Bill 1266. It is basically a bill that will destroy higher Christian education in the state of California. And this guy is the leader of the, uh, the defense against that, that bill. And I just watch him. And I, I met him in this church and he's an example to me. And so you get taught that in the local church. You get encouraged in that in the local church to, to live your life for something more than just cranking the homemade ice cream and standing in line and because other people are doing it, you're doing it. You, you go beyond the American dream. You go beyond the Galilean dream. And you have examples that show you how to do that, how to do that as well. Uh, Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. So be careful how you live. Now, obviously, the opposite of careful is careless. And in the original Greek, this carries with it the idea, don't stumble your way through life. Don't make life up as you go. Don't drift through life. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. Now, in the Bible, fools didn't mean having a low IQ. It meant people that live for right here and right now and don't think about the future. On the other hand, live like those who are wise. And a wise person was somebody who thought about eternal things, thought about the long-term consequences of things for eternity, didn't just live for the here and now. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Three basic questions. Number one, what does God want? First of all, he wants my whole life. Paul writes in Romans 6, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he's the guy that wrote Chronicles of Narnia. Any of you read the Chronicles of Narnia or anything? Okay, if you read the Chronicles of Narnia, this is the guy that wrote it. He had a great quote. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. Okay? If it's not true, don't waste your time. It's an utter waste of time. It's not important at all. But if it is true... It can't be moderately important. It is all important. It is all encompassing. Give yourselves completely to the cause. Everyone, everywhere following Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Now, he's not saying that money's bad. He's just saying you can't have two number one priorities, okay? You got to have God as your number one priority. Following Christ as your number one priority. Then all the other things will fall into place if you do that. You can't have two number one priorities. And these things that compete with that are good things. That's what makes it so tricky. Things like money, like work, like sports, okay? Sports, uh, hobbies that you have, uh, your friends at school, dating. I mean, okay, even family life. Let me tell you what I think the new idol or God of Americans in Southern California is. It's family life. You say, Glenn, what are you talking about? That, that's a good thing. Absolutely, it's a good thing. But you know, Kimberly and I, have, we had six children and six grandchildren. And I'm telling you, it's not healthy for them to be our number one priority. It's not healthy for them. It's not healthy for us, okay? All these things are good that I listed. They're just not good as your number one purpose in life. Uh, These are good things in our lives, but you know how you mess up good things? You mess them up by making them your number one purpose. Now, Jesus talked about this a lot and even talked about the God of family life, okay? Uh, he, He spoke to Southern Californians, who are just so consumed with like worshiping at the altar of family life. Look, look at what Jesus said. My goodness. Uh, Luke chapter 9, uh, verse, uh, let's see, Luke chapter 9. You'll see it there in your book rack Bible, or you can get a Bible at the Connect Center in the future, or bring your own Bible, or you can find it there on phone. Uh, verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Come on, Jesus. Now, probably that didn't mean can't go to the funeral, even though it starts in 15 minutes. It probably meant a number of years before his father died. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. What? But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. You're like, what, Jesus? What are you saying there? He says, no, no, no. He's just saying you can't have two number one priorities. Jesus replied, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back as fit for service in the, in the kingdom of God, okay? You just, you just gotta be careful. There's always a but first. But first, let me get done with school. I know those of you in high school can think that. Let me, God, I'll, I'll serve you, but let me get out of school first and have some fun in high school. God, let me get done with college first. Uh, first, let me get married. A lot of people say, I'll get serious about God when I get married. Uh, God, let me finish school. Uh, later on, you say, Lord, I'll follow you once I get the kids out of the house. Um, Lord, I'll follow you once I'm financially independent. God, I'll follow you once I pay off the mortgage. I'll follow you once I build my career. Once I retire, once I die, then I will follow you. Okay? And then you get to heaven, and there's no more following him in heaven. Okay, it's automatic in heaven. All right? I mean, the, the only thing, you might as well devote your life to things you can't do in heaven. Everything we can do in life, we can do better in heaven. You can play sports better in heaven. You can work better in heaven. You can have fun better in heaven. You can explore nature better in heaven. You can have fun more in heaven. The only thing you can't do is invite people to heaven. It's over and done with. That's the only thing you can do this side of heaven is everyone everywhere uh, following Jesus. Let's look at another one. A couple of pages uh, later on in your Bibles. Luke 14, uh, verses 16 through 21. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me, that's wealth. 
Another man said, I just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me, that's work. So one guy said, I, I got wealth I got a, as my mutual number one priority. I got work as my number one priority. Still another said, I just got married. I got a wife. So it's really great. They all start with W. Wealth, work, wife, or relationships. I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. So, like, what, what, is it, what is it for you? What is the thing that competes for that number one priority? He said, you just can't have, you can't have uh, two number ones. Proverbs 3, verse 6. In everything you do, put God first, and he'll direct you and crown your efforts with success. I'm not saying that other stuff is bad. God wants to crown your career with success. He wants to crown your marriage with success. He wants to crown your dating life with success. He wants to crown your schoolwork with success. But you put God first, and he'll direct you, and then he'll crown your efforts with success. Number two, what does it take? It takes discipline. Now, to be a follower of Jesus is to be a disciple, and the word that's connected with disciple is discipline. Uh, Paul writes, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, whenever I hear the word discipline, I don't like that word very much, and I don't think of myself, I think of myself as struggling with discipline in following Jesus. I, I, I struggle in that area. I think, well, I'm just not all that disciplined. But you know, you think about it, we are disciplined. We're extremely disciplined. I mean, think about it. If you love your job, you're disciplined at work. You show up on time to work. If you love your career, you're disciplined for your career. You go to extra conferences to get better trained for your career. If you like working out, anybody like working out at the gym? You guys can all tell I work out at the gym a lot, can't you? You're just in there. That's, that's a lie. I just lied in church. I want you to know, okay? Uh, um, but if people that like working out, they are disciplined uh, about working out. If you have a sport, how many of you guys do you nursing out? How many of you have a sport? Okay, you got a sport? You're disciplined for your sport. I remember when I was in high school, standing by the Coke machine, I can see the spot right outside the gymnasium, and I was buying a Coke, and a track friend of mine just happened to walk by. He was a pole vaulter, and he says, hey, Gunderson, don't drink caffeinated drinks. They'll, quote, cut your wind. Now, there's no scientific research to back that up in any way, but just because a friend said to me once, don't drink that, it'll cut your wind. I didn't touch a caffeinated drink for 10 years, for a decade, just out of fear that it would, whatever cutting my wind would be, okay? Uh, you know, I don't even want to think about that. That came out really raw, weird, okay? But at any rate, uh, you know, just on the fear that it would add a tenth of a second to my 1,500 meter time. I was disciplined. I avoided it for a decade. We're disciplined. How many of you like video games? Anybody like video games? Okay. We will, we, we're disciplined about our video games. My son Noah, yesterday, total random on a Saturday morning. He comes in and goes, Dad, you want to go for a walk? In all the years, I have begged him to go on walks with me over and over again. He, I've said, Noah, do you want to go for a walk? I've said that 10,000 times. He has never said, Dad, do you want to go for a walk? And I said, sure, why? And he says, I got to hatch my Pokemon and I got to go out in the park. So we walked for an hour in the park to hatch a Pokemon. I mean, it used to be such a pain to get our young adult children to go on vacations with us. Okay, uh, they hated going on vacations with mom and dad. Not this year. Noah would wake up. Father, may we go and explore downtown Seattle? 
They're Pokemons there, right? Yes, they're Pokemon there. And, and, that, and that's where we go. So you, you got, a favorite, got a favorite TV show. We are disciplined at keeping up on that. The younger pastors at our church, you know, Pastor Pete Wilson, our media guy, Pastor Eric, Pastor Adrian, have got me hooked on this show, Stranger Things. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. Okay. And it needs a little bit of clear play work. I want you to know where you cut out some stuff of it. But, but Kimberly and I got hooked on this. We are binge watching it. It's midnight on Friday night. And I text Pastor Eric. And I said, thanks a lot. I've got this busy weekend. And we've just spent four hours. We were disciplined for four hours to watch, watch this show, to binge watch it. And I said, thanks to you. I am so scared. We're going to sleep with the lights on tonight. I am like, like so scared of this show. So you know where we are disciplined? We're disciplined in areas where we want to be disciplined. That's where we're disciplined. And I'm just saying, let's be disciplined following Christ, and you're going to make mistakes. And I'm not talking about living perfect. I'm not. Uh, but but we, we, let's be disciplined in following Christ and Jesus the same way we're disciplined in these other areas. Now, discipline equals delayed gratification. You'll see that there in your study outline. And I've mentioned to you before the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment by Walter Misch in the late 1960s. They did this back in the 1960s. They followed the kids, and you know the kids that could wait for the second marshmallow did better in every area of life than those that couldn't wait. Now, all you parents, I'm going to see you at Seder Brothers buying marshmallows. After this is over, we're all going to check our kids. Now, when you're a young adult, it's not marshmallows anymore that tempt you. It's not marshmallows. It's Marsha and Mel. Okay? And I just want to tell you, how you handle, it's why the Bible talks about it. You say, oh, why do pastors always talk about this? I don't know, because the Bible always talks about it a lot. How you handle your sexuality when you're young is going to determine so many things when you're fully into adulthood. I, I don't know why, but I'm just watching it from my friends in high school and in college. Uh, now, now, God forgives. God forgives. And so you start today waiting for the second marshmallow if you want his blessing. God forgives, and you start today. But I'm telling you, I've just seen it. Just like the, the marshmallow, the Stanford test, those that are able to trust God in that area, it's amazing how God blesses them in their relationships and in their marriages and, or as a single adult, if God calls them to be a single adult. Now, delayed gratification is hard at first, but it becomes easier over time because of the second thing that's there in your study outline, discipline equals habits. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you brushed your teeth before you came here today? Okay. You didn't even think about not brushing your teeth. Now, you probably can't remember back to this, but do you think when you were a little kid, how many of you had trouble the first 21 times you brushed your teeth? You hated it. Your parents bugging you relentlessly about it. Um, actually, that myth, it's, it's a bit of a myth that it takes 21 times to develop a habit uh, because uh, that came back from a plastic surgeon in the 1960s who observed it took about 21 days for his patients to get used to the new way they looked in the mirror. But actually, current re research has bad news and good news. Uh, the bad news is it actually takes 66 times to do something before you develop a habit. But here's the good news. You can mess up a few times and if you get to 66, you don't have to start over all, all over again if you mess up. You can mess up a few times. If you do it 66 times over a 70-day period or a 75-day period, you can still develop a habit. Whatever it is, now you don't think about it, and the result is you have healthy teeth. Now, it's good to start young on these things. How many think it would be hard 
if a person had never brushed their teeth until they were 40 years old. And on their 40th birthday, they start brushing their teeth. Do you think that's going to be hard? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to hurt. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be a killer. And that's why start these habits like a daily time reading the Bible. Start it early. And it's amazing how later in life, you wouldn't think of not having that time alone with God. If you're a morning person, do it in the morning. If you're a middle-of-the-day person, do it in the middle of the day. If you're an evening person, do it before you go to bed at night. But, I mean, it's just crazy how 23 and a half hours or 23 and three-quarter hours, having spent time alone with God every day, goes further in your schedule than 24 hours. Tithing is an area where you give 10% of your income to people in need or to the work of God, um, to local church to help people in need and to further the work of God. Uh, my parents taught me that when I was 10 years old. 10 years old when I was making $1.50 a month. My first salary was $1.50 a month. And I just learned right from the beginning, give 15 cents to God and live on the other dollar and 35 cents. Okay? And the first time I got a part-time job, my parents taught me that I made $100 a month. Give uh, 10 of it to God and live on $90 a month of it. First time I got my full-time job as a pastor, now I was making the really big money, making $1,000 a month. That's what Kimberly and I lived on as a pastor in Homer, New York, $1,000 a month. And, and because Kimberly had been taught this as a child and I'd been taught as a child, just was without even thinking, it was like brushing our teeth, that we gave 100 bucks each month to God and lived on the other $900 a month. And now we wouldn't think, it's like brushing your teeth, you wouldn't think of not doing it because you know that 90% with God's blessing goes further than 100% without his blessing. Now I want to give you a couple of habits that are going to help you figure out your purpose in life. Uh, one is to be a part of a small group. And if you have not yet connected with a small group, if you look on the back of your study outline to the golden box there, it says, have you found your group? And it talks about just going up and talking to some friendly people at the Connect Center after the service is over, and they'll help share with you some possibilities to connect with a group. It is in a group of people that encourage you and hold you accountable that you can fulfill the purpose for which God made you. And now here's the second one, and I'm really excited about this, is Bible reading. If you don't have a daily Bible reading program, that's where you, you figure out your purpose from this book right here. Okay, you figure it out with other people in a small group. You also figure it out in God's Word in this book. And here's what's so cool. is I checked on this, and we have a 100-day plan for reading through. It's almost like a Cliff Notes or a Reader's Digest version of the Bible. Take you about five or ten minutes of reading a day for 100 days. And here's the part is so cool. Is, uh starts on Thursday. On Thursday, there's 100 days left in 2016. Now, you can start today and blow off four or five days and still make it by the end of the year. Or you can start today and be done by Christmas Day. So there are so many awesome ways to do this. But go out to the Connect Center, get a hold of this. 100 days left in 2016 and uh, 100 days left in, in this year and, and, and start that Bible reading program. Start it today as a habit that will help you figure out your purpose. And by the way, I had forgotten something, didn't write it down. I meant to write it down because somebody told it to me after the first service. Remember I was talking about Keith and Mary Corsions and their commitment to each other through hard times in marriage? We have somebody, at our, we have somebody in our 945 service, the Stolmeyers, who Thursday have been married for 70 years.
Let's finish up. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. Spend your time and energy in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit. Discipline of letting go. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin. Not all weight is sin. So some is sin, and it's bad stuff. You get rid of it. But some is just extra weight that is not sinful. It's good stuff. It's just unnecessary that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Uh, Jill Briscoe. Uh, is just an awesome, um, somebody I've admired for years, a great author and international speaker. She was once asked what she saw as her life's greatest mission. She answered that her life's greatest mission is to figure out what to do every day in my life as ordained by God and then to do it. Jill knows there are many things to do in life that are not ordained of God, which is why we must be single-minded. To be single-minded as I embrace God's purpose for my life means that there are times I just have to say no to an invitation to join my friends for coffee, to an offer for a lucrative job, to a long weekend. To be single-minded as I embrace God's purpose for my life means there are times I have to just say yes to less sleep and more prayer, to less TV and more study, to less work and, and more worship. And so the discipline of letting go and then the discipline of putting first things first. David says, all of our busy rushing ends in nothing. Reverence for God adds hours to each day. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And then why should I do it? I do it because of the cross. Paul says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And, and Paul, note this verse. This is powerful in the message paraphrase. We beg you, please don't squander one bit of this marvelous life that God has given to us. Don't squander one bit of this marvelous life that uh, God has given to us. Now, here's what I want you to do. You should have gotten this as you came in, but if you didn't, you can get it as you leave. It says, my life purpose statement. You know, we have purpose mission statements at work, and we have them for our soccer league, and we have them for everything. We have purpose and mission statements. I just want you to take this home, look it over later today or, or this week if you have a chance, and maybe just take a stab. Our church's purpose statement is everyone everywhere following Jesus. Um, you come up with one for your life and keep it where you can see it on a regular basis. And that doesn't mean you're stuck with that one. We change ours every few years, Okay. We change our purpose statement, mission statement every few years. You're not stuck with this, but give it a shot. Just give it a try, and I want you to take this. And if you got one, you make sure if you didn't get one that you get one uh, as you leave.